This is Steamboat Chatter, a new podcast with your host, Duke. On today's episode, I'm talking to Nick Winden, the chef of Laundry, Kitchen, and Cocktail. I feel like the people make it, and I feel like the people make Colorado. I get that same sense of community up here in Steamboat. Absolutely. And you know what? Enough about Fort Collins. This is Steamboat Chatter. And listeners, thanks once again for tuning in. I am Duke Adams, your host. I'm sitting here with Nick Winden, the chef at The Laundry Kitchen and Cocktail, a place I haven't been before today. And if you hear some noise in the background, it's because we're recording as they're starting to get set up for their day. It's Friday, so I'm sure you're expecting kind of a rush, so... Yeah, you know, it's November in two weeks, and I can't believe that because we haven't had a slow weekend yet. Yeah. Our first slow day for the season was Sunday, and usually October is pretty chill, and it is definitely not like that right now. I can't believe how busy we are, and I think it's because of a lot of good things going on. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of people in town, but this is also a great restaurant, and i Really have a lot of pride for it and really love this place. I can't wait to get into uh, the laundry with you. I can't wait to do laundry with you. That's what I'm trying to say, Nick. <laughs> nice. um, but I'm curious, how long have you been in the boat and how long have you been with the laundry? Um, I came up here seven years ago and actually working here is what brought me up here. Okay. We would come up here and ski and eat at laundry and we love this restaurant, especially the feel of it in this old building. I really like just kind of the energy of this space. So I emailed Rex and he emailed me right back and we had an interview and decided to so come up You took the initiative. Were they were they hiring or did you just, you're like, hey, I'm going to email you guys and see what's what? I Yeah, I didn't know if they were hiring. I just put out some feelers to a couple restaurants and this was kind of my number one choice. And Awesome. They were pumped to have me, and I was pumped to come up here, so it worked out really good. Isn't isn't it great when life works out like that? When your number one choice is just like, oh yeah, that would be great. Come on, yeah. come on up. It was meant to be. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. yeah, and and this space, you're right. It is. It's it's got like it's almost like a barn meets industrial meets like the booth that we're in is almost like Manhattan chic. Yeah. You know, it feels a little bit like a speakeasy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feel. I I really Especially dig it with the cocktails all the infused liquor around and all the stiff cocktails. I'm looking at, at behind the bar here and I used to host a show called Chill Filtered, which was about whiskey. And it is, it's still a show. I quit drinking back in 2019, so I, I no longer host that show. But just with some of my knowledge from hosting that show, I there's quite a bit of whiskey up there that is impressive to me. And I can imagine that younger Duke would have loved to come in here and spend his money at that bar. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what really separates this bar is the infused alcohol. It's just a glimmer of what is actually going on, but the bartenders do a great job just constantly infusing tons of different alcohols. And infusing with what? Anything from uh, lemongrass and black pepper to melon to eggplant. And Eggplant. Crazy things that I see him do. I'm like, what are you going to do to sell this? Wow. Like, we'll try to find a way. But Get, Getting into some real mixology stuff <laughs> but here. They even do, you know, their orange vodka is yeah. their own orange peel infused vodka. Oh, very know? cool. So they really do a great it's, it's, job. When people say craft cocktails, it's really, really craft here. It really is, yeah. yeah. And they put a lot of work into it. I have a lot of uh, pride for our bartenders. Speaking of cocktails, last week on the episode, I spoke with the co-publishers of Art with Altitude, Danny McKinley and Barb King. And part of our conversation included about how in Colorado, cocktails are actually a designated art. 
And I found that fascinating. I have always thought food and cocktails and things like that are obviously art. They're creations, right? But I just don't think that the average person would necessarily look at a cocktail as anything more than something to get them feeling a certain way. They may be like, oh, it tastes really, really good. Yeah. They may feel that same way about a dish, but I don't think the average person that sits down and spends money at a restaurant goes, I'm partaking in an art form. Yeah. I'm curious as a chef what you think about that. I... 100% think that that happens with food and alcohol the same. Um, A lot of times food really isn't an art. And there's a structure in this country to follow rules and to follow a game plan. And that can be done the same with cocktails. I'll have a whiskey Coke. There's a Cuba Libre. Like it's been done a million times and you know exactly how to do it. Then there's an art form of thinking about the flavors and thinking about a balance or however you go about it and doing something new. And I think that's what kind of makes it more artistic in my mind is adding something new and trying different things. You'll probably never really do anything new because everything's been done so many times. Everything under the sun, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, you're kind of trying and thinking about it. And yeah, it's definitely an art. And it's cool to think about it from different levels of you cooking it to how the customer perceives it. And there's so many different ways you can perceive this art. I think a lot of people like music is the same way. Cooking, bartending's the same way. You make this and you want people to perceive it this way. And then so many times it's not. And now that's an interesting that's not thought. not necessarily a good or bad thing. Right. Um, that, that's really interesting to me because, you know, like a, an artist that is a painter or, or, or a sculptor, somebody who works in physical medium like that, their art is often misunderstood and they're asked all the time, what's the meaning behind this? Mm-hmm. That what you just said is like, I've never thought that you as a chef, you are an artist. I 100% agree with that and have always thought that. But I've never thought to ask, what's the meaning behind your art? Do you, do you feel like you do have meaning behind that art? Or is it an art that is just more kind of utilitarian where it's just like, no, people need food and I'm good at food? No, I think I like to think about when you're eating something, where does this take you? And does it fit the experience? What we're trying to do here is sharing food is really the number one goal. All of our food that we put out is meant to be shared. And then you think about food that fits this space. And one thing I've had to change and kind of work on a lot is making the food purposefully rustic. Yeah. Because Now define that for me. Making oddball, uneven cuts okay. with all your food. Yeah. You know, not having perfect knife cuts. Um, and making them purposefully weird and kind I like of quirky. Yeah. And it, because that's what fits this restaurant. And having things purposefully and intentionally kind of more random is how we go about the food here. Hmm. And sometimes it's harder. It's is harder it, than doing something neat. But it's a, co- it's a cohesive randomness, though, I Definitely. would imagine. How difficult is that? Be, uh, as an artist, I'm a musician. I, I, I like to do somewhat drawing, things like that. I love the random, but I also know that random can be really hard to then grab all the different sides and pull them together and make one cohesive thing. How hard is that as a chef? I think what's the hardest about it is training people Hmm. to do it because you don't want it to just be a mess. And with 
random cuts and rustic, which people roll their eyes at all the time. I do. I think it's a funny term. Yeah. Because it's kind of like you feel in a way sometimes like slop it on the plate. <laughs> like, you know, don't cut that cake, crumble it yeah. on the cake. You know, like it's just kind of a funny thing, yeah. but there's a way to do it right. And it starts with great flavor. Hmm. As long as it tastes really good when you eat it, it's okay. But then you got to make it look good and not look messy. And to train people to play it like that, to cut like that, it is difficult because a lot of people, I think, see it as you're just hammering through stuff. It's, there's some people who different. might look at it more of like a, um, there's some people who may approach it as an art. And then there are some people who, line cooks and people in your kitchen, who might maybe look at it as an assembly line. No yeah. different than building a car at Ford, where it's just like, well, my role is to do this. I find no art in it for myself. I'm just here to chop and dice and things like that. And I'm good at that. And it's utilitarian. What I'm trying to get at is I, I just realized I don't think there's an art more collaborative than being in, an, in a kitchen that maybe a film set, maybe. But trying to think of another art form that that takes a whole, you know, I, I don't know how many people you got in there. It's loud. I, it's bustling. So you've got all of these people in there that are working and who have their own creative thoughts and values, but they're all working together cohesively to create this artistic expression as one unit. What is that like? And what is it like when it screws up? That's the thing yeah. I really want to know. Yeah, it, um, it's very difficult. So there's different people and you have to first get to know the people you're working with. And sometimes it's very quick. You understand who someone is yeah, and you can just let them go. Sometimes it takes a year or years to really understand what somebody has to offer and how they can fit in your kitchen. Sometimes they just don't. And hmm. sometimes Do, is it, just it harder? takes a while to figure it out. I don't think you can have a setup where this is what I need and this is the person I need to fill it. You need to change the setup of your kitchen based on people and who you have. And honestly, a lot of people, especially in this town, don't have a lot of experience coming here. So they need to be 100% on the business side. Right. You know, you have, you're in a limbo of balancing the art versus the business. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm really good at the business side. It's something that I have a natural tendency to, I just gravitate towards that. Yeah. I can organize and get that down Must pretty be nice. good. <laughs> but I think I understand and appreciate just as important is the creation of good food. Yeah. And the ability to get people to get excited about it and the art side of creating. Yeah. And that's just as important. Maybe more important because there's less people that can do that stuff. Practicing the art. One thing I think I've realized strongly in the last, I don't know, seven or so years is that doing other artistic things like drawing or painting or, I don't know, even reading and just imagining about things that aren't cooking make me more artistic and better as a cook. In the and kitchen. In yeah. the kitchen because they relate. It's like... You know, having a smooth line on a paper and being good at handwriting and drawing makes you better at plating. Right. And it makes you think about flow and things like that better. So, I, yeah, I do something. you have to practice the art. You also have to practice the business. And 
for people who've never done it before, you first just need to get down to business. Yeah. So there's not really room for you to be artistic until you're pretty deep into the job. You said something that really caught me off guard, and I want to explore it a little bit to make sure I understand what you meant. You said you can't make people fit your kitchen. You have to fit your kitchen around your people. When you say that, do you mean that their skill level or do you mean they're creative the way that they're creative in the kitchen? It's definitely both. Okay. I I really like people to do specials. I like people to buy in to help create dishes. I like everyone to kind of have a part in it. Yeah. Because it makes people care. Right. And it makes people better at their job and passionate and give it their all and buy in. Allowing people to do stuff like that is really important for having a team and having people who really care about their job. You seem job. like a great leader. Like you, you just seem like somebody who, I would love to be on a team with a guy like you because you understand. I think even with a lot of creative projects, whether it's in the kitchen, podcasting, film, the person in charge and you're in charge in that kitchen doesn't have that attitude of, oh, I've got to adapt what I want to have happen to the needs and the, the abilities and the creative passions of my team. I especially think of like productions like this and film where it's like, no, no, I'm the head. You guys are all adapting to me. This is my vision. I really love the teamwork. It's just yeah. teamwork. You here. know, I got my business degree at CSU and there was a couple classes I took and it just rang to me really hard about this is the way things were done in the past and mm. this is the way you need to do things now. Yeah. And the way you do things now is you manipulate your system to fit whatever's currently going on. Yeah. You're never going to be able to have it perfectly how you want it. And so you need to <laughs> be able to change and be okay with it and adapt based on your people you have, your situation you're in. There's so many different levels of what that means, but you need to not be set in stone about how you do something. Hi, Steamboat. Hope you're enjoying today's conversation. It's Duke here just checking in and wanted to tell you a little bit about Mortarbox Media. Through Mortarbox Media, I help people create and develop podcasts that they've been dreaming of reaching their audience with. And for businesses, I help create engaging content that will convert listeners into customers. So whether you're just looking for someone to hit record, or you need a showrunner, or anything in between, Mortarbox Media can help take you from having an inkling of an interest in podcasting to an engaging professional podcast in no time at all. If you're interested in seeing what a podcast might do for you to help you achieve your goals, reach out to the email listed down below in the show notes. It's steamboatchatter at gmail.com. Or if you'd just like to support what we're doing at Steamboat Chatter, you can visit the Patreon linked in the show notes below. And without further ado, back to the show. And speaking with you, I, I found out that it's like shared plates. Yeah. I'm a diabetic, so that is terrifying to me. <laughs> what what is that experience because i don't i don't eat added carbs i don't or processed carbs i don't eat anything with added sugar what would that be like for me coming here well you know everybody has a dietary right something yeah. right now <laughs> so you need to be ready for anything and we're pretty good at creating stuff on the fly i don't want to advertise that this is what we're doing all the time but we do like to you know take people's dietary things and just make something random up yeah. on the fly. Um, we can always do that. But then we also look into every ingredient of our dishes when we put out a menu and we write a um, a dietary guide of what you can have and what you can't have. Yeah. But that only is 
the major allergies and things like that. So we get a lot of oddballs. We have a lot of vegan people who eat here, and we do really well with that. And a lot of people who have random allergies, and they come back here a lot. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's fun. When you're crazy busy, it's hard. <laughs> See, that's but, the thing is I always feel like an inconvenience. Like, like my wife is like, no, just tell just tell the waiter that you have a... And I'm like, no, because everybody in the kitchen is going to be like, ugh. You know what? I always say, like, we'll always react in a way. I always tell this to new food runners. And I say, you have to bug us when we're behind on something or something's wrong. You have to speak up and say it. And I'm probably going to react, whatever, I... <laughs> get it back and I'm probably going to be pissed off in and that seeming moment, right? in the yeah. moment and I have to be like you know you, you just you have to have a backbone and take what I'm saying to you and realize that I wanted you to come to me and right. say that Right. So, it's you almost know, like you're more angry that you needed the reminder you're not yeah. angry at them for the reminder and it, it's hard when you're busy and you have a lot on your head and you're trying to do a lot of things at once to have to kind of think about something different and take a step back to what somebody says. So your immediate reaction so many times is just like, yeah, <laughs> that's so annoying. Right. And, but it's really important to do that stuff. Everybody should be able to eat, you know, here because we have talented cooks and we have People that should be able to be able to put out for anybody. You know, we got to be better about not reacting like that. And yeah. I've definitely worked on it. I know I used to be a lot more aggressive and um, had to have that conversation more. What do you think it is about being a, in a kitchen that leads to the type of aggression that people associate with being in a kitchen? It's very stressful. And there you put a lot into it. And I think a lot of times... You don't get paid that well. I know things have changed a lot recently, but I mean, I cooked for minimum wage for a long time to get to where I was. I was abused with my pay and just getting totally overworked. And you're you're getting paid in love. Right. You know? and it, it does it and you're putting so much into it and it's a lot of times just a lot. Yeah. And um, you know, so it's easy to be aggressive and it's easy to be a little grumpy. What uh what food are you excited about here right now? How often are you changing your menu? What's that process like for you? So we change the menu four times a year. We've kind of gone into a new mold though in the last two years of doing a really big change in fall and spring. Okay. And a slight because those change are the big going. season changes. Yeah, like the other ones I are kind of mild. Like when I'm in summer, I, I want grilled food. I want fresh stuff. I want things bright. And then come fall, I'm starting to really give me those hearty me meals. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And and it goes the other way. You just are starting to really crave it. You know, you got to start it in fall. And then in winter, we're just busier and we want to have a little more on the menu. Yeah. And things that we can. I can't imagine why you're busier in winter. What's that all about? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you have stuff. Daily. So do you have, do you guys do like soups like uh, in the know, winter and things like that? We don't do no, soup. No, really? We do soup at Creekside. Okay. But we don't do soup at laundry just because we don't feel like soup shares well. Oh, I, I keep you know? forgetting about and the shared like, stuff. Yeah, it's like the only thing we don't really do here is soup because it's just not the sharing food. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, when does your menu change next? So we just changed it. And this is the winter change or is this the fall, this oh, the the fall, fall change. change? That's right. That's right. But it's going to be pretty similar to the winter menu. We're going to add four dishes in the winter 
change up the meats and cheeses and maybe tweak some dishes. It's kind of a good trial run in the fall to get ready for the winter with a lot that's going to be on there. And then we'll add a few things and do some kind of bigger items too in the winter because sometimes people are here on vacation. They just want to gorge themselves. And, right. You know, right. we're looking at doing like a pig roast. Yeah. That's like two and a half pounds of meat, four different cuts, you know. Right. And, and just kind of crazy, elaborate things like that. That would that sounds delicious, by the way. What's your favorite thing to cook right now on your menu? I just did our pork cheeks, which are a really funny thing to cook because they're just so full of tendons and yeah. cartilage and stuff. And I just say every time you cook it, you get popped in the eye like four times. <laughs> and so... It's funny that I'm saying this is my favorite thing to cook, but it was off the menu for a while and it's back and I'm like, gosh, it's just such a beautiful product and the gelatin that comes from it and the sauce you make is so awesome. It's taking a Vietnamese style barbecue, which is a lot of ginger, garlic, fresh herbs and chilies blended up with Shaoxing cooking wine and braised on the pork cheeks so and that just pulls out all this gelatin and makes for this amazing sauce and it's very bright and spicy but then extremely rich from the pork cheeks which is probably the richest part of the pig <laughs> i i like and my mouth is watering just yeah, thinking it's of those just pork a cool cheeks. combo and i was just like gosh i love this dish it's really good i think just braising meat in general in the winter i just love braising big things of meat like i've done it a lot and i feel like it's just really good here we have a bison chuck roast that we, I bet that's amazing. It's really good. It's braised in, um, we use harissa instead of tomato paste and quite a lot of it just makes for this kind of Moroccan flared red chili braise. And then we make it kind of more French and it has mashed potatoes with charred onions and goat cheese mixed in it and topped with pistachio pesto. That kind of goes into what the food is here is extremely a clash of food. And it truly is, in my opinion, American food hmm. in the sense of there is so many cultures being brought together and to be able to step back and think of flavors for what they are and how they're balanced and not thinking about a culture when you cook. You know, it's hmm. kind of the style of food here. And I know we do get pushback from a lot of um, European cultures and stuff that come and eat here because we are clashing so many flavors and it can be, you know, people are like, what's your identity? Well, That's so interesting. Our identity is we are American food and right. we are a clash of flavors. When I think of comfort food, which we do a lot of comfort food here. When we were talking about what it's like in here, I just like, I just feel so comfortable in yeah. here. And, you know, we mashed potatoes and mac and cheese and gravy and fried chicken and things like that like we have to do here but when i think about comfort food i really think about mexican food mm. and that's such a huge influence for me growing up because that's what i ate yeah like a lot of people around me and a lot of people still around me are mexicans and you know i love that food and it's very comforting for me and it brings me back so there is a lot of kind of chilies and a lot of mexican influence in our food here just because that's what's comforting to me 
Yeah. And uh, that's what I find very delicious. Is that what you hope people walk away from uh, eating here with is comfort? Like one thing on the episode last week, again, with Art with Altitude, we talked about how art is really anything that makes you think, that anything that makes you stop and think and maybe continue to think about for a few days. When you think of people leaving laundry, kitchen, and cocktail after eating a dish that you designed, you came up with for the menu and you prepared, what's the thought that you hope that they're walking away with? What and And the thought that's continuing with them like when they think back a week from eating here they go oh yeah remember we had dinner what's the thought you're hoping for so i hope they have a great time that's the number one goal yeah when i go out to eat the number one thing for me is i want to have a great time it's the food it's the atmosphere there's a lot that goes into that and a lot of it's what you bring in to that restaurant you and the people you're with yeah you know it's easy to have a good time with people you really love so that at the end of the day that's the number one goal but the eating experience i want you to kind of just get pounded with different flavors and different things going on that you're trying all these bites my favorite way to eat here is with a large group of people and ordering everything it's so much fun because then you get to try like four things at a time and you're just kind of getting pounded with food in different flavors everywhere you look Yeah, yeah and and then you leave here and it's like, oh my God, that on this was cool. And this tasted good. You kind of want people to leave about- a place like this a little manic. Like just talking about how good this was and I'll remember that. Like, th- is yeah. that kind of what so you're saying? You it's just like an excitement. Lot, totally. And you tried a lot of bold flavors yeah, and a lot of different things. When you leave here, you're, you can't really think of what was your favorite and stuff. Right. And, and like, I love leaving here talking with people like, what was your favorite? And like, I don't know. I like this part of this. And it's yeah, more about and, the experience. Yeah. And so it kind of makes it, it's always a longer experience here. Usually it's like a two hour dinner and you try a bunch of stuff and yeah, you leave here excited about the food and the different flavors and as well as the cocktails and the mocktails. We have mocktails, some really yeah. great mocktails, right? <laughs> right. Nick, tell me something. I, I've loved hearing about the laundry. I, I always want to end the show with a story about Steamboat, something you love about being here. What's a great experience you had? Any of those things, anything that you can relate to, back to Steamboat, not necessarily the laundry. Tell me about it. Well, it's crazy. My first memory of Steamboat, of my first memory, I th- was when I was four years old. I was skiing up here with my family. Hmm. I went on the gondola after skiing the first day in like a lesson i went on the gondola and i got so afraid i just cried and <laughs> i wouldn't get off and i wouldn't ski down my dad really wanted Wait, you wouldn't, me to you, would, you were afraid so you wouldn't get I, off the gondola i wouldn't get off the gondola so my mom and i rode the gondola down and we got off and oh i see you were scared to ski down i was scared okay. to ski down okay. and i wouldn't do it i was four years old i kind of remember that but what i really remember is getting on this lift after that with my brother and my mom and going behind one turn at a time Mm -hmm. and her just saying take the next turn and I was just (laughs) screaming and so afraid and having so much fun and then got down to the bottom and I was just so ecstatic I guess my brother and I just rode that lift over and over and they had to stop the lift to pick me up and my parents just watched and we just rode that lift all day that's so funny Um, it was the highlight of your trip, huh? I don't know. That's just my first memory. <laughs> do, do you it, still ha- do you still have fond memories for the for the gondola and the, and that lift? <laughs> oh my gosh, I I try to ski as much as possible, snowboard and ski. Yeah. 
And I just love this mountain. I love Buff Pass and Rabbit Ears, doing the backcountry and cross-country. We live in Hayden, and it's so amazing being able to cross-country ski yeah. with our dogs every morning. Like, oh, it's just I love cross-country skiing. I'm a little, I have neuropathy, so I have nerve damage in my feet. I'm a little, I've never done downhill skiing, but I live here now, so it's like... Yeah. I, you can't not. Side note for any listeners, if you want to teach me to ski, reach out. So, But I'm a little nervous. I'm just, and what I'm really excited to do is to start talking to some of the, the people that are into that for the show, like some of the skiers and snowboarders. I love talking to anybody about what they're passionate about as long as they're actually passionate about it. Yeah. And Steamboat is just full of those people who are passionate about winter sports. Winter here is the funnest thing ever. I just constantly I'm so exhausted and looking around like I can't believe I'm living this life right like skiing in the morning and I'm just so happy and having such a great time get a couple laps in and then I come to work and it's crazy busy and it's like you're never not gonna have a good day when you ski in the morning yeah <laughs> no matter what happens at I'm, night it's gonna be wild and it's but you just had so much fun i've heard that a few times from right. people yeah I, you know, and i can dig it I, i'm gonna try and get into it i just i'm not confident that because of my feet it'll be my thing but. i feel the same way you know cross-country skiing yeah yeah and getting outside in yeah. different ways too yeah absolutely well nick i i have really really enjoyed talking with you give one final plug for laundry your hours or whatever is their website all that good stuff and whatever you want to say plug it make it sound good get people in here laundry is like no other place it's made from the people who work here and a lot that has gone behind making this place what it is now it's an experience that you have to experience Nick, thank you again so much. Listeners, check the show notes. You can find the website and a ton of other information about Laundry and all things Steamboat. Be sure to follow us. You can follow Laundry. Their social media will also be linked in the show notes. Again, Nick, thanks so much. And I can't wait to come in here and eat some of this food. Thank you, dude. Steamboat Chatter is a production of Mortarbox Media. It's produced, engineered, and edited by Adam Rosted. To learn how we can help you start your own podcast, reach out to us on our Instagram. The link's in the show notes here. 